With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We are 100 days until week zero of college football. Fire me up. We got Hawaii coming down to Nashville to play Vandy. Got Navy and Notre Dame in Dublin, Ireland about to get after it. Welcome to the Hard Count. The people show for every single thing that you and I both know and love about college football. It's May, and you're either listening to a college football podcast or you're watching the college football show with us right now live on YouTube. So for that, we thank you. So freaking glad you're here. Keon Coleman is headed to Florida State. If you've watched this show for any length of time, you know that I think number zero is an absolute problem on the outside. Like, whenever he lines up on the outside, it's, hey, check fade, check fade. I mean, if you watch his tape, it's just jump ball after jump ball. He plays above the rim. Big time get for Florida State. You better believe we're about to talk about that whole heck of a lot. Big time get for Florida State. What does that mean for them? What does it mean for Florida State now? Because they added another piece, another big piece, both physically and metaphorically, to that offense. Also, Dylan Riola wasn't too long ago it was actually I think it was earlier this week where he gave his commitment to the Georgia Bulldogs number one quarterback in the 2024 cycle he's off the board now listen when one program lands a quarterback they weren't the only program going after that quarterback Nebraska was in the mix USC was in the mix we're going to be joined by the GOAT Josh Newberg national recruiting analyst for us here at on three about to join the show here in a short period of time and going to talk about where to now for Nebraska? Where to now for USC? Going to be a lot of fun. Excited to talk to him about that one and see where those programs look now. Also, the ACC got some win totals out there. We've done it the last couple of shows, trying to make ourselves some money here within the SEC and the Big Ten, but now move to the ACC. What are some win totals that Vegas is just dangling in front of us that we need to take advantage of? I'll give you my thoughts there, and we'll try and make some money together. Alabama, they got a not one, not two, but three-horse race, it would look like from the outside looking in, not including those freshmen, for the QB1 spot in Tuscaloosa. We still got some time till we get to fall camp. Tyler Buckner has now entered that race. Going to give you my thoughts on that one. Before we get to any of that, though, it's 100 days till week zero, so that means it's 107 days till week one of this beautiful sport that you and I both love. We're going to take a quick peek at what week one has to offer. Like I always do at the beginning of every show, though, thank you for being here. you got a lot of options. You have a lot of things you could be doing, maybe should be doing, but you're here with us. So put everything else on pause. We'll talk some college football. We'll have a good time. We love you. We're glad that you're here. As I was saying, though, we got week one 107 days away. Can you believe that we are? It feels like we're just around the corner. I know 107 days feels like a lot. It's going to be here before you know it. So we got to just take a quick peek at some of these games. I got four that I'm keeping a particularly close eye on. I want to get this out in the open, though. Week one, we're not defining any of these teams. Week one is not for making conclusions on any of these teams. We are trying to learn about them. We're going to observe, take some notes, jot them down, and understand that how you look week one may look very different than how you look in week 12. Okay, remember Florida last year when they welcomed Utah to the swamp. And we were all saying after that game, after AR just put on a clinic, hey, is he going to win the Heisman Trophy? Is Florida a real threat in the SEC? Anthony Richardson ended up doing great things, was inconsistent. But what I'm saying is what we thought Florida was that game ended up being different than what they were to end this season. Now for Florida, it's a new season. It's a, it's a new era. Billy Napier going into year two. I guess it's the second year of the new era. Utah is going to play host in this one. This one is going to be on Thursday night, and that's where I want to start. Florida going to Utah. And for me, this game is just like what I said at the very beginning of this segment. This is for learning. This is a, a very big game where we're going to observe a lot of things. And about Utah, yes, but I think even more so about Florida. Because for Utah, we have a decent feel for who they are. It feels like the majority of Kyle Whittingham coach teams are relatively of the same makeup. They're going to be tough. They're going to be physical. Cam rising. You hope he's able to get healthy sooner rather than later. But we have a good feel for Utah. Even if they look a certain way in week one, I'm not pressing the panic button. 
because I know who they are under Kyle Whittingham. Now for Florida, that's where I really want to settle in right now. We're going to get a good temp for Florida. We're going to get a good chance to look under the hood and see what they're made of. Because, again, they go to Utah. It's going to be on a Thursday. It's not on a typical Saturday. Going to have a lot of people watching this game. I don't expect Florida to be perfect. Whether it's Jack Miller or Graham Mertz, and for the record, I expect it to be Graham Mertz playing quarterback for them. It won't be perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but how far off the mark are we from perfect? Because it's one thing to go out in game one and look sloppy and look like you have a couple of things to clean up. It's a whole other thing to go out there in week one and be like, oh boy, we got some issues. We got to really tinker with this starting lineup. We got to tinker with this depth chart. We got to have some guys coming to their own as we go on throughout the season. So for Florida, I'm just curious to see what they look like. And like I said, how far off are they from what we need them to be to make a bowl game? Because Vegas has got them at five and a half. We did not give that out as a best bet either way, quite frankly, because we don't know what Florida's going to be. But this game should give us a very good litmus test for what they're going to be going forward. Shout out to all y'all watching live. Gosh, dang it. Freaking love you guys. Make sure you're subscribed right now. And make sure you are also following me on Twitter and Instagram, at JD Pickell. Also, shout out to everybody on podcast. We appreciate and love y'all too. Finding time. Another game now. Let's move on to the Saturday slate. We got Fox big noon kickoff. We got Colorado going to TCU. You'll have Joel Klatt and Gus Johnson on the call. And for me, I'm just looking to, looking to, uh, to see what these new pieces look like for both sides of the ball now. A lot of new pieces, or uh, both sides of this stadium, rather. Uh, a lot of new pieces for Colorado. Talk about in a second. But TCU, man, I mean, Max Duggan gone to the league. Quentin Johnston gone to the league. Garrett Riley gone to Clemson. What do they look like offensively? Because that was their calling card last year. TCU scored right around 39 points a game last year. How much do they have to reset? We're not making a statement on TCU in this game, but I'm just curious to see how different they look from a year ago. Now, Colorado, that's, that's the, the place we really got to focus here. Because Coach Prime, it'll be his first game as the head coach in Boulder, and they're taking their, their show on the road, and there's so much made about all the transfers they've gotten, and I think it'll take some time for it to mesh. Nobody's disagreeing there. I'm just curious to see some of these key pieces, some of these guys that we expect to be ballers for Colorado in 2023. I'm looking at Shadour Sanders. I'm looking at Travis Hunter. I have no reservations about their ability. Have complete confidence both those dudes can ball. Shadour Sanders, ball was jumping out of his hand in the spring game. Travis Hunter is a freak of nature on both sides of the ball. But keep in mind now, we haven't seen either of these dudes appear in an FBS game. I have nothing negative to say about FCS football. But you and I both understand, this is a different level of football now. I'm not making a prediction on what they will or won't do, but this will be a very good litmus test for us to see, okay, how much of a learning curve is there going to be for them at this FBS level of football? Game's faster, guys are bigger, Windows close quicker. Receivers are faster to cover if you're Travis Hunter. So I'm just curious to see. This will be a great spotlight for that team. They've been the story of the offseason with how much work they've done through the portal. Because the other thing I want to look at for Colorado is how are they gelling? I mean, you overturned the entire roster. I get on radio and talk to people and we talk about, hey, what's Colorado going to look like? And I just said this to somebody the other day. If anybody tells you that they know for a fact that Colorado in their first year under Coach Prime is either going to 100% succeed or 100% fail. They're lying to you. They're lying through their teeth. I don't think they're doing it intentionally, but there's nothing that we can compare Colorado to from previous years. There's nothing. I mean, even last year, they won one game. Whole roster's pretty much gone. Whole staff's pretty much gone. You have no data point on Colorado and this roster not just within this operation, not just within this program under Coach Prime, but within college football history. So it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Curious to see how they gel early on and got a lot to watch in that game. I'm very excited that one. That one's at noon. It's at noon. You still have a lot of games ahead of you. Now, for North Carolina and South Carolina in Charlotte, neutral site game, this is going to be, I think, one of the sneakier games of the day. I have labeled this one the who comes back to earth bull. Because both sides of this now, there's a lot of optimism, a lot of buzz, a lot of excitement, and for good reason. If you're North Carolina, Drake May, if you're residing in Chapel Hill, you feel like is the best quarterback in college football. Now, Caleb Williams is probably up for that discussion as well and probably the way that I would lean. But if, if, you're, if you're standing Drake May there, if that's your guy, 
You can make a real argument. And that's one of the reasons why the good people in Chapel Hill are extremely fired up for 2023. They got big dreams. They got big aspirations. Played for an ACC title last year. Didn't go how you wanted it to. But still, you got your quarterback coming back, who you feel extremely confident about. So that hype train that's painted Tar Heel blue has his face and his number all over it. And for good reason. So that's North Carolina side of things. For South Carolina, Spencer Rattler said, I'm not leaving. Juice Well said, I'm not leaving. The culture there. I've talked about it here at nauseum. You know I'm a fan of Shane Beamer. I told you I got one year of eligibility. I'm running down on kickoff for Coach Beamer. That's what I would do right now. Even so, Vegas has got him at six and a half wins. Good people in Columbia are saying, great, we'll hammer that all day long. We feel great about that one. This is going to be year three, though, for Coach Beamer. This is going to be the year where a lot of people say, okay, what are we as a program? Year one and year two, I mean, year two, you didn't have a quarterback. Year one, you're still trying to get your feet under you. Year three now, what are we? So they got high expectations in South Carolina as well. The reason why I call it the who comes back to Earth Bowl, whoever loses this game, you take a real good look in the mirror. And it's only week one. I don't think, e I don't think either side is defined by this game, but this will be a situation where you have to, again, take a look in the mirror and say, okay, maybe we believe some things about ourselves during this offseason that aren't 100% true. Maybe we still have some places where we can improve. And you'll do that after the game anyway. But I think for South Carolina and North Carolina, it'll be a real good chance to sort of steady your, your psyche a little bit. Because you find out who you are after you lose a game, especially the first game of the season. Backs you into a corner a little bit, and I think ultimately could be a good thing. Now, the game of the entire weekend is Sunday in Orlando. You got the LSU Tigers and the Florida State Seminoles. This one lived up to expectations in every sense of the phrase last year with Florida State blocking a PAT to win the game in walk-off fashion. And this is a playoff game. We've talked about this before on this show. This is, without a doubt, no way around it, this is a playoff football game. Week one, I know, but look at the slate for both these guys, for LSU and Florida State. If you are to drop the first game, you lose your mulligan. You put your fate in somebody else's hands. It's not how you want to live, especially not after week one. So for LSU, they feel like they weren't even in their final form last year. Like it was Brian Kelly's first game as the head coach at LSU, Jane Daniels, his first time suiting up. They didn't feel like they even were who they were as a team yet in week one last year. And Mason Taylor, in a different interview, he's like, yeah, we, we got that one circled. You better believe we got that one circled. We, we got to go and get back what's ours. So that's how LSU feels about it. They did not just sweep this one to the back of their mind and say, oh, ho-hum, whatever, last year happened. No, no, they, they got this one circled, and they feel like they got to get payback. Now, for Florida State, I don't think you can buy any more Garnet and Gold Kool-Aid anywhere in Tallahassee. I've checked online. I've asked friends in the area. You can't buy any more Kool-Aid in Tallahassee. That's Florida State colors because it is out of stock and it is being chugged by the gallon. And for good reason. We'll talk about Keon Coleman here in just a few minutes, but they've got the most returning production in college football. They just extended Mike Norvell. The ACC feels wide open. Like they feel like this is the year. And it all starts week one in Tallahassee. So playoff atmosphere, neutral site. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch. I'm excited for this one. So keep an eye on those games. So to recap it for us, the peak that we're taking at week one, Florida at Utah on that Thursday. And then you roll into Saturday after you get your Friday out of the way and there's some other games going on. Then you roll into Saturday and you got yourself big noon. Joel Klatt, Gus Johnson, Colorado at TCU. Our first look at Coach Prime and our first look at TCU since that national title game. Then we roll on. We got North Carolina and South Carolina. Battle for the Carolinas in Charlotte, fittingly enough. Which one of those teams comes back to earth? Drake May, very real case to be the best quarterback in college football. Does he make a statement in that game? Spencer Rattler and company, they're going to have something to say about it. Then we got LSU and Florida State on that Sunday. It's a packed slate. I didn't even talk about Clemson and Duke on Monday. I mean, week one gives you all you want with college football and then some. It's going to be phenomenal. I absolutely cannot wait. 107 days away. So it was less than 100 days then since we saw Georgia take care of business. In the national title game, the game was really over before it started against TCU, and Georgia has just taken that momentum, put it in a jetpack, and put it all on the recruiting trail. They are rioling 
right now. That's a horrible pun, I know, but we're going to, hey, I, I make no apologies. Low-hanging fruit is low-hanging for a reason. And so to break it all down, Dylan Raiola, the ripple effect. Now you got USC, you got Nebraska. Where do they go to now? Bringing on the man, the myth, the legend, national recruiting analyst for On3, Josh Newberg. Josh, how we doing, brother? We're rocking in Rayola over here, JD. <laughs> it's so bad, but it's like it's right there. Am I, are we really just not going to use it once or twice throughout this segment? Put I don't it know. On a tee, I'm going to knock it out of the park. You know what I'm saying? You got to just hit dingers. When it's teed up like that, you got to hit dingers. Josh, we're going to talk about Nebraska and USC here in just a second, but I want to just pose this one for you. Dylan Raiola committed to Ohio State earlier in the cycle. Decommitted. Obviously, now has given his pledge to the dogs. Why should fans feel like this one is going to stick when it comes to Dylan Raiola and his commitment to Georgia? Because it's his second commitment, and I think at this point, quarterbacks across the country in the 2024 class have made their decisions. They're locked in. If he is to open it up, I mean, anywhere he goes is at a top program is going to have a quarterback committed. I mean, at this point, I think that he opened his recruitment up in December from Ohio State, and at this point, I think he's locked in. So much of the class is predicated on a quarterback, and Dylan Rayola chose Georgia knowing that they're going to build this class around him. And if he were to choose another school, you know, it would be down the road, it would hurt the class that comes in with him. So I think Rayola making his decision right before the important summer months show you that this was well thought out, it was strategized, he's locked in, and I think he's going to be a great peer-to-peer -peer recruiter for Georgia this summer. Dude, you said it. Like, you turn on the highlight tape, and he looks like – the elastic Spider-Man toys that used to be floating around. I feel like I don't know if kids still play with toys anymore, but he's like rolling left, throwing right, like the awkward arm angles, like every single scouting term that's cliche that you want to throw at him. I feel like those fit. So if I'm a receiver watching at home, I'm like, yeah, I might want to go play with Raiola. Yeah, I might want to go catch missiles from that dude. Is there anybody early on in the trail who you're like, hey, keep an eye on this guy. Keep an eye on this guy. He might want to come and play with Raiola. Anybody that comes to mind there? Absolutely, without a doubt. You know, Georgia was already heavily involved in five-star wide receiver recruitments of Mike Matthews and Ryan Wingo. But just recently, the number one wide receiver in America, Jeremiah Smith, has locked in an official visit to Georgia this weekend. And I think Dylan Rayola, there's a great chance that Rayola is going to be on campus with them. Now, remember, like you said, Rayola reopened his recruitment. He was a one-time Ohio State commitment. Now he's going to get his – well, Jeremiah Smith wasn't committed when he was committed. But you get the point. Jeremiah Smith is on Ohio State's commit list. Dylan Rayola – Fresh off his commitment to Georgia is going to try to take a crack at flipping him this weekend. Now, I don't expect anything to go down in terms of a direct flip in the coming days, but these months of the summer, this is where things, you know, kind of sort themselves out a little bit. So let's see what happens. Jeremiah Smith's also going to take an official visit to Florida, and there's a couple other that he could also schedule. So Jeremiah Smith, while he's committed to Ohio State, the number one wide receiver in America Guess what? He's looking at Georgia now, too. He threw out the thinking emoji. After Raiola committed, he threw out, threw out the thinking emoji out there. Like, hmm, maybe I will take a little extra look at Georgia. And then he deleted the tweet. So listen, I mean, I'm, I'm not like a, a Twitter scientist, but if I'm just looking at this thing from the outside, feels like Georgia may be getting a little bit more buzz, but that official visit will be huge. So Georgia, super set. And they're going to recruit well, even more so with Raiola now. It's a big recruiting tool. So that's like the first wave of this ripple. The other part of this now is the two schools that were after him in Nebraska and USC. Like you said, the musical chairs game of, okay, we've got to get our quarterback in this class. They're both now going on offense. Where, where do these schools look, Josh? Mm, yeah, the top QB domino falls with Dylan Rayle off the board to Georgia. And yeah, now what happens to Nebraska and what happens to USC? Okay, so for USC, they're going to pick up the pieces. They'll be just fine. They got Malachi Nelson, a five-star that they signed in 23, already on campus. And it's Lincoln Riley. Lincoln Riley's going to have his pick of the litter. He's going to go and he'll probably watch a little senior film. You know, maybe if they get somebody on campus, they'll go all in on this summer. But I think Lincoln Riley can afford to kind of sit back, wait, see, see kind of what develops with the QB dominoes, as, as we say. And then, all, then it comes down to Nebraska. Hmm. 
It's a heartbreaker, JD. It is a real heartbreaker because it's not the same setup there in Lincoln, Nebraska, as you have at USC with Lincoln Riley. Matt Rule's entering his first year. He had a crack at the number one quarterback overall, but it wasn't just because the number one QB was interested. There was family ties. He's a legacy prospect. He went there a couple times on some unofficials in January and really got the fan base buzzing. And I don't think he was... I don't think he was trolling. I don't think he was doing anything outside of, hey, he's genuinely interested in Nebraska. He's checking them out multiple times. But he, but there were some vibes out there that it was just meant to be. The story was written. It was going to be Matt Rule's first year. He was going to go out and sign the number one quarterback in America to bring this ship, to right the ship. And the, it, it, was, it was just too good to be true, though, J.D. In reality, Nebraska finds themselves heartbroken and they're not exactly in a position to pick up the, the, the next great quarterback in this class that's uncommitted is at number seven, Elijah Brown. He's out of California, and I think he's going to go to Stanford. Then you go to Michael Van Buren at 12. I got him pegged to Oregon. And now you can see they're sliding way down there to find their next best option at Nebraska. And that's why this one's such a heartbreaker, because it's not like they can just pick up the pieces and say, hey, let's go on to the next great QB. You know, they're going to have to lick their wounds a little bit. Now, not very long, because summer months are here but they're going to have to lick their wounds and kind of go back to the drawing board at quarterback. No, you said it perfectly, Josh. Quick plug, Josh has a recruiting show on this very platform, the On3 YouTube channel. Subscribe right here because he's covered this thing, I mean, since its infancy. He's been all over the Riola recruitment, been all over the QB Dominoes. So lock it in right here. Josh bringing the heat every single week. Make sure you're locked in right here. But Josh, you were saying it, man. The vibe is in Lincoln. I mean, there was a point in time where you and I were talking in the office and we're like, Dude, Nebraska, if they land Riola, like, will the CFB world just short circuit for a second? If Matt Rule steps in there his first year on the job, not even his first season on the job, first, like, few months on the job and lands the quarterback in 2024, <sighs> woulda, shoulda, coulda. Woulda, shoulda, coulda, but... It, it felt like it was there on the doorstep when Dylan Rayola made those two back-to-back -back unofficial visits oh, on his own dime in January. He showed up at the basketball game. They were throwing up the bones. We had Sean Callahan from Husker Online on here. I mean, it the buzz was there. It was real. Like, we're not just making this up. It felt like Nebraska... Like, you and I kind of said this off air. Like, wow, they're going to do this. Yes. And it looked like the number one quarterback in America, but... Kirby Smart didn't write that script. He ends up a dog. He's at Georgia. He'll be on campus this weekend in, in Georgia recruiting, who already been stacking talent on top, top of talent, is going to have an unbelievable group of recruits on campus this weekend. We'll just have to see if newly committed QB Dylan Rayola is also there. It's just like a thing where now the G for George, like the brand itself, like recruits itself. Like how Alabama essentially signed a number one class with basically no coordinators, like Saban just being Saban, the brand just mm -hmm. being the brand. It kind of feels like Georgia is moving into that rarefied air of you just know what Georgia's going to be with how they're going to win, with how they're going to develop, with guys that they have drafted. Like, that's kind of how it feels like Georgia is right now, Josh. Nothing lasts forever. Nothing lasts uh, it forever. felt like Nick Saban's reign was going to be forever, but in reality, nothing, especially in college football, lasts forever and change is inevitable and maybe we are seeing the the groundwork of the next great dynasty being built and the only way to sustain a dynasty is through recruiting in that constant flow of talent through your program and right now nobody's doing it better than georgia nobody's doing better than georgia you absolutely hit it on the head josh i want to ask you this one more question before we we mm -hmm. let you go here ryan puglisi is another quarterback of the four-star variety, I believe is the number six quarterback in the entire country, also committed to Georgia, out of Connecticut. Now, we had Scott Schrader on the on-three roundtable, and we asked him about the Riola commitment and, and what that meant for Georgia and what it means for USC, and he's like, hey, Lincoln Riley at one point in time was talking to Ryan Puglisi. Is that somewhere that USC looks? Nothing's final to pen meets paper. You know, it, it is possible. Uh, you talk to Ryan Puglisi or anybody around Ryan Puglisi. I was talking with Chad Simmons yesterday, and it sounds like he's just saying all the right things in terms of welcoming the competition for Dylan Rayola. And now, yes, USC is one of those spots. There's not many that don't have a premier QB already committed. USC does not, so it would make sense that they might pursue him. Uh, Charles Power, very high on Ryan Puglisi, ranked number six overall in the on three rankings. So when he made his decision to Georgia, 
he knew that Rayola's recruitment was happening. Um, he had plenty of opportunities to reopen this thing, but never did. Uh, Dylan Rayola jumps on board, and Ryan Puglisi hasn't, there, there's no movement there. He hasn't given up anything in terms of that he's going to reopen this thing. So while I don't expect it, he is a name to keep watching. Ohio State was also heavily involved with Puglisi before they landed Air Nolan, but now with Nolan on board, do they double back on Puglisi or not? You know, most likely, though, if he were to open his recruitment up, he would have to go battle it out with somebody as good or just, you know, better than Dylan Rayola. Yeah. No, I think that's on the money. I've loved everything that I've heard about what he has been saying around mm -hmm. this. Like, like you said it, Josh, you're going to have to compete anywhere. Yeah. I mean, when, when you get to campus, like, Stars, rankings, all that, that's phenomenal. And Shannon Terry said it. It's a reflection of what you've done. But when you get to college, that's when we find out exactly who you are and what you're going to be going forward. So it'll be a lot of fun to watch. Y'all, follow Josh on Twitter. Do it. Subscribe to this channel because he has a banger of a show multiple times a week. So lock it in right here. Josh, we appreciate you, man. We'll do this again soon, brother. All right. See you, JD. The man, the myth, the legend. Nobody better when it comes to national recruiting analysts other than Josh Newberg. Appreciate his time. Y'all, everyone that's tuned in right now, we appreciate y'all. Lock it in. Make sure you're subscribed. One more call to action. If you're on the podcast, we appreciate you because you got something going on. You have something else going on where you can't watch live on YouTube, but you are what we like to call around here a program guy, program person. You, you're locked in here, so we appreciate you for that. And uh, follow me on Instagram. Follow me on Twitter at JD Piquel. All right, now a lot of y'all, I'm not naive to this, a lot of y'all are tuned in because Keon Coleman, gave his commitment to the Florida State Seminoles. And, I mean, the good folks in Tallahassee, I said it already, there's no more Seminole-colored Kool-Aid that you can get anymore. There, there, there's, there's all the, the garnet and gold Kool-Aid is gone. You can't buy anymore. Not online, not in stores, because it is currently being chugged. Okay? And Keon Coleman, I think, caused the last couple units of that to no longer be in stock because for Florida State, we'll talk more about this here in just a few seconds, but the expectation is the expectation. The ACC is wide open. This is the year to make a run at the college football playoff. Got a ton of dogs back, and Keon Coleman now just turns that talent knob up a little bit more on that roster. So what does it mean, though, for, for Keon Coleman to go to Florida State? What is the, the impact here? The headline is going to read, Florida State gets another big body pass catcher, which is true, and we got to talk about. They got Keon Coleman at 6'4, 215, man to man problem. Kyle Morlock, a transfer tight end who's 6'7. Johnny Wilson, a receiver who's 6'7, 235. Jaheim Bell, who's 6'3. Like you go down the roster here, there's no personnel anywhere in the country that has recruited to cover six foot seven guys when multiple, multiple of them are on the field, or, or a six-foot-four receiver to go along with a six-foot-seven receiver. Like, it's just, it's just skyscrapers all across the field here for Florida State. So that's the first part of this. You dig a little bit deeper, and I think the real impact lies in ensuring that Florida State can stay balanced. We said the same thing on our one-off video yesterday. In Florida State, they want to be a run-first football team. Ran the ball 54% of the time last year. Alex Atkins... I say this a lot with coordinators. You can't change where you're from. And I'm not talking about geographically. I'm talking about where you're from in the football world. And Alex Atkins, offensive lineman. He's coached the O-line. He has a good feel as to what they want to do on the line of scrimmage. They're going to try and push you around. They're going to want to move you against their will. So they're going to run the football. Trey Benson averaged six yards a carry last year. They're going to pound the rock. But then off of that, they're going to be able to throw the football too. And this is just ensuring that that's going to be something you can do. Now you walk into a fight if you're Florida State, and you can throw whatever kind of punch you want. We want to run the ball against you. We can do that. We want to go aerial assault against you. We can do that because we got a bunch of just towers on the outside. So that's that piece. You peel back another layer. And we've been saying this here really since the season ended and what we expect Florida State going forward. I really think that for Florida State to accomplish what they want to accomplish, college football playoff berth, ACC title, all that. To get that done, I think they need to have a 5 to 10% uptick for what they're doing offensively from a points-per-game standpoint. Because they averaged 35 points a game last year. So everybody that's yelling at your, at your television or you just pause the podcast to absolutely let out a scream, I hear you, we're good, let's talk about this a little bit more. 35 points a game, really good. 
But look at the teams that made the college football playoff last year. TCU, averaged 39 points a game, essentially 40. Georgia, averaged 42 points a game. Ohio State, averaged 44 points a game. Michigan, averaged 40 points a game. All of these teams that made the college football playoff are living in that 40 points a game range. I think you need that for Florida State. Last year, when Florida State had their three losses, in all three of those games, they failed to score over 30 points. So what does that tell you? Florida State, they need to be able to get into those shootouts and get into those games where, hey, if it's a day where we got to score 45 to win, it's a 45-43 kind of game, we need to be able to live that way. That's what I'm looking for for Florida State. And that's the real impact here with Keon Coleman. Because now you add another weapon, another guy for Jordan Travis to spin the rock to. That opens the door in my mind to get to that 40 points a game range. I'm not saying Keon Coleman makes all the difference, but I don't think he hurts your efforts. Jordan Travis and his maturation, Jaheim Bell over the middle. I've mentioned all these weapons and the balance of the offense, but Keon Coleman is another weapon to help get you that just 5 to 10% uptick in points per game that I think it's going to take for Florida State to get to the college football playoff. So that's the football side of things. The other side of this, and this might go under the radar, I've said this multiple times, I think this Keon Coleman recruitment had a very real NIL component to it. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but I don't think I am on this. That's what I have heard, and that's what the way it looks. And so this is actually a good thing for Florida State because look at all the things that have been said around the state of Florida. Miami and what they were doing grabbing top talent and having a, a strong NIL presence. Florida and their NIL presence. Those were the two schools in the state of Florida that were getting all the NIL headlines and all the shine and all the buzz around what they were doing. And Florida State's just sitting back there saying, well, yeah, but we had the best season of those three. Well, yeah, but we have the most training production and just kind of hanging in the shadows. And so I think for Florida State to land someone like Keon Coleman, I think this is an NIL flex. I really do. I think it just says, hey, our money is just fine in Tallahassee. Our money is just as good as y'all's. And we're going to use it to grab guys like Keon Coleman, to help us grab guys like Keon Coleman. I think it's a good sign for Florida State fans. I really do, because it shows that you have people that care about your football team, care about what Mike Norvell's doing, and they have it aligned in a way to where they get that to the right places. Because you hear a lot of stories now about NIL being disorganized and having people not on the same page. Doesn't sound like that's the case based on this recruitment, based on Keon Coleman landing up in Tallahassee. I think this is great for Florida State, and I think it sends a very strong, clear message to the rest of the college football landscape. Florida State, we can play that game too if you need us to. We can get that done for you. So now, that's where Keon Coleman is headed. That's the way that it helps Florida State. This is what it says about the NIL presence at Florida State. But 2023 has got as much pressure around it as any season in recent memory for Florida State. And I'll say this, if you're a Florida State fan, you say, hallelujah, we welcome that with open arms. You welcome expectations. I mean, because what's the opposite of that? Not having expectations, expecting nothing from your football team, saying, oh, I hope we have a good year. No, you have all the reason in the world to be hopeful. And Keon Coleman turns the knob up on expectations as well. I mean, I was scrolling through Twitter yesterday, and Twitter is toxic, but we love it. There was so much talk around week one and around Florida State being a national title contender. Like, this just heaped more fuel onto the fire that is the excitement around Florida State in 2023. Pressure is privilege. Pressure is privilege, and Florida State right now has a lot of pressure. And for good reason, like I just said, Keon Coleman now joining the party, Jordan Travis back for another year, Jaheim Bell through the portal, Fenshaw Cypress for the portal. At the time of us being live right now, they got a top 10 portal class. 94% of that defense production is back. That allowed 22 points a game last year. Like, it's all there. It is all there. And the ACC feels wide open. So for Florida State, Keon Coleman's a huge get. But in the grand scheme of things, the pressure just continues to mount. And that is a good thing for Florida State. Expectations are always a good thing. Keon Coleman going to be a null and I'm telling you what, man, it sounds like that recruitment was a battle to land him. So credit to Florida State for seeing that one through all the way to the end. Big time get for Coach Norvell and company. Shout out to everybody watching us live right now, man. Like the video if you're tuned in live. Get your questions into the chat right now.
is Nick Bright, Keeper of the Q, is going to be going through those, and we're going to answer them at the end of this show. Heck, throw in your college football takes, too. I want to hear what y'all are thinking about this. All right. We'll keep on rolling here. We, uh, we're trying to make us all some money. I'm just going to be real. We're, we're all trying to get paid right now. Talked about the SEC and the win totals that we like there, the way that we lean. Talked about the Big Ten on our last live show. It's now time to talk about the ACC while it still exists, while it still stands as we know it. So we're going to talk quickly so none of this becomes dated. Uh, listen, Vegas is dangling some win totals in front of us. I like four of them specifically for us. So we're not going to waste too much time now. We're going to jump right into it. And I want to start with the Clemson Tigers. Clemson Tigers, the over-under for them is at nine and a half wins. Translation, you can lose two games. And the two biggest games on Clemson's schedule, they get them at the crib. They get Florida State, and they get Notre Dame. They get Florida State September 23rd. They get uh, Notre Dame November 4th. I'll just say this now. Even though that home win streak is broken, the boys still play well at home. The boys still play real well at home. And it feels like what's going on at Bama the shade being thrown at Nick Saban, that's the same kind of shade now that Dabo Sweeney's taking. And they don't just tune that out. They take it, they welcome it, and they turn that into fuel, they pour it into the machine that Clemson football is. I love Cade Klubnick. I love Garrett Riley. I love Will Shipley. All three of them are program guys, and I think that Clemson, you're going to tell me they're going to lose two games? Not buying it. Not buying it. Clemson, over nine and a half wins. Go ahead and lock that one in for us and take it to the bank. Appreciate you for that. Make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you're locked in. Follow me on Twitter. Follow me on the gram. We don't have too much time to waste, so we're going to keep rolling here. we got to throw that out there, though, for the good people that are watching us right now. All right. NC State, the next place I want to look. I told you they're a dark horse for me in the ACC. The over-under for them right now is six and a half wins. NC State's a tricky one because you got Brennan Armstrong now reunited with Robert and I, and they did phenomenal things last time they were together at Virginia. Remember, Brennan Armstrong is transferring to NC State. And last time he was with Robert and I, 31 touchdowns, over 4,400 yards. Dude can deal the rock. So for NC State to piece this thing together, let's take a look at the yellow schedule. Take a look at the path to get to six and a half wins. The way that I see it, I need five of the first seven if we're going to get this done. So I need at UConn. You can drop the one in Notre Dame. That's tough. You can drop that one. I need VMI. Got to make our laps. I need at Virginia. Brennan Armstrong's old school. I need that one. You can drop Louisville. There's a lot of talk around Louisville and how good they might be, so we'll let, you, we'll let you say, hey, we can even drop that one. But I need Marshall, and I need the game at Duke. Okay? You can swap the loss with Louisville to the loss for Duke. I'm not saying it's going to be a loss. I'm saying you can have those. All right? Now, we got to dig deep here. The back half of the schedule, I need you to muster all of your gusto, all of your strength, all of your pride that you got in Wolfpack Nation. I need it these last five games. I just need two, all right? Serious as can be right now. I need two. You got Clemson and Miami, both at the crib. You're at Wake, you're at Vatech, and you're at U or excuse me, and you have UNC at home to end the year. Can we get two of those? You tell me I got five tries to get two of those? I think so. I'm circling the game at Wake. Who knows what Miami's going to be? I'm circling the game at Vautech. It's a rivalry game against North Carolina and Drake, Man, NC State. They got a little bit of beef, no matter how serious or unserious it is. It's a rivalry game when it comes to that game against Drake, May. I'm not saying the rivalry is not serious. I'm saying the Drake, May, joking about guys getting into UNC. All of that. Put it behind us. The real matter of this is we're taking North Carolina State over six and a half wins. Lock that one away. We like that one a whole heck of a lot. Pencil them in for seven or eight wins on the year. Now, talking about North Carolina. Let's look at North Carolina now. The over-under for them is eight and a half wins. And I said it earlier in this show, there's a hype train now. It's painted tar heel blue, and it's got Drake May's face pasted and plastered all over it. For good reason. You can make a very legitimate case for him to be the best quarterback in the entire class when it comes to the NFL draft next year. I talked to a scout yesterday. He told me, listen, Caleb Williams is probably the best, but Drake May, man, he's right there. Drake May is right in the mix for that best quarterback in the draft class. I love Drake May. I love Drake May. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. I think he's one of the best quarterbacks, like I just said. Here's my issue, though. 
Drake May doesn't play defense. He plays quarterback. And last year, the North Carolina defense allowed 173 rush yards a game. They allowed 270 pass yards a game. Defense was not bringing it. So it was a whole lot of shootouts. And last year, North Carolina, they went 9-5 and five last year. They won six games by one score. It's not a good way to live. Not a good way to live winning close game after close game after close game. That means the margin between winning and losing, obviously the, the, the margin between your team ending up being, what is that, 3-8, and eight, if my math serves me correctly here? I'm sure it doesn't. 3-11, three 3-11. Three, yeah, three and 11. I'm not saying that's what's going to happen, but I'm just saying I like the under here. You're at Clemson. You're at NC State. No thank you. Under eight and a half wins for North Carolina. We'll go ahead and lock that one in as well. Now, Syracuse. What do we make of Syracuse? What do we make about the Orange? There are six and a half wins. And when I was in school, we were about an hour away from Syracuse. Ithaca to New York, or excuse me, Ithaca, New York to Syracuse, New York, about an hour, hour and a half drive. And we'd fly out of Syracuse if we wanted to go home. Closest airport to us. And I'll just say this, man. The, the weather in Syracuse, New York, is miserable. It's cold. If your hair is wet and you walk outside, it freezes. It is not a, a pleasant experience to be outside in Syracuse, New York. Here's the deal, though. Syracuse plays their football games indoors. 73% of the offense. It's back. Garrett Schrader. I think he's going to make that offense a lot better than it was a season ago. 72% of the defensive production. It's back. Dino Babers, program guy. Lock in the over. Lock in the over for Syracuse. We like six and a half wins. We, heck, I'm not like seven or eight for Syracuse, if we're being real here. Go ahead and lock that in on the over. So to recap it for you, Clemson over under nine and a half wins, over. We'll take that money. NC State, over six and a half wins. Look at North Carolina. I love Drake May. I wish he played defense. So I'm taking the under on the eight and a half wins for the Tar Heels. And Syracuse, six and a half wins, over. So we're buying stock in the overs here. But listen, we're going to make us some money. We're going to spend it on... Christmas gifts early, and it's for the kids, all right? The ACC win totals, the SEC win totals, the Big Ten win totals, all the money we're making, it's for the kids, all right? Appreciate everybody locked in right now, listening to it for the kids. Again, get your, uh, get your questions in right now via the live chat to Nick Brake holding it down for us, and we're going to get to those in just a quick minute. Before we do that, though, the Alabama quarterback race, has a lot going on with it. There's, there's a lot to talk about there. Tyler Buckner transferred from Notre Dame, ended up in Tuscaloosa, reunited with his former OC, Tommy Reese, and there's a lot to unpack with this one. And I think to start, we need to play some myth busters. Okay, you guys know that show where they bust myths. It's a pretty self-explanatory show. The title tells you a lot there, but we got to do that right now with the Bama quarterback race, specifically with Tyler Buckner, because there's a narrative out there. That Tyler Buckner is just at Alabama because of Tommy Reese. Tommy Reese found a way to get Tyler Buckner to Tuscaloosa. I'm here to tell you that is a myth. That is not true. You don't get to play for Alabama unless Nick Saban signs off on you. Okay? The other thing I want to say here. Hey, Alabama wouldn't have added a quarterback if it weren't for Tyler Buckner. Well, we had Gary Furman of Kane Sport on this very platform on the On3 Roundtable YouTube channel, actually. He told us that Tyler Van Dyke to Alabama smoke, that was absolutely real. So what does that tell us? Alabama, whether it was Buckner, whether it was Van Dyke, they were looking for a quarterback. So what does that tell you? They don't know if they feel 100% confidence. I'll take that back. They don't have 100% confidence that the answer for their starting quarterback to get to Alabama's expectations is in that room. So Tyler Buckner, did it help the Tommy Reese's there? Probably. But Alabama wasn't satisfied with what they had in that room before he got there. The other truth serum we got to have. Tyler Buckner is not guaranteed anything. Anything. He is not just going to walk in there and be your day one starter. That's not how this works. The message to Tyler, I believe, and the message to Ty Simpson and to Jalen Milrow, everybody else in that quarterback room, it was, hey, we're bringing in Tyler Buckner. Tyler, we're bringing you in. It's going to be an absolute dogfight. May the best quarterback win. If you want to stay, stay. If having a competition scares you, get out. I don't think it's, hey, Tyler, here's the keys. Best of luck to you. 
So it's very much an open competition. Wholeheartedly believe that. But Alabama, by nature of the Tyler Van Dyke smoke and by bringing in Tyler Buckner, they were in the market. Now, I don't know if having the first name Tyler was a a prerequisite rather to being a starter or being a quarterback for Alabama via the transfer portal, but uh, doesn't doesn't hurt, it seems like. Okay, make sure you're subscribed right here. Make sure you're locked into the On3 YouTube channel. We talk college football every single day. Follow me on Twitter. Follow me on Instagram at Judy Paquel. Appreciate you for that. Okay, so there's there's two ways I want to go about this. Here's the first thing. Here's what I think about this situation. I think the talent gap between Tyler Buckner, Jalen Milrow, Ty Simpson, I think it's pretty minimal. I don't think Tyler Buckner brings a totally different arm talent or a totally different skill set outside of Jalen Milrow, I suppose, to this quarterback room. I think who ends up being your quarterback is the guy who doesn't keep me out of third and short. That's who I think starts for you. What do I mean by that? I mean the guy that makes good decisions with the football, who gets us in the right play, and who keeps us in third and three, third and two, third and one. That's who's going to start at quarterback. So how do you do that? You don't miss your layups. You don't miss open throws. And you get us in the right play, like I was just saying a second ago. Because this car at Alabama now, the motor is going to be the offensive line. Steering wheel is the quarterback. The motor is the offensive line and running the football and moving you against your will if you're the defense. So we'll talk more about that in a second. But that's what I think about the quarterback room. Don't think anybody's just wildly more talented than the other. Now, here's what I think Nick Saban thinks, which is, you know, a guessing game to try and get inside the mind of Nick Saban. But here's what I think this move with bringing in Tyler Buckner means. You look at Nick Saban. Is he someone that would waste his own time? Is he someone that would bring in a quarterback into his quarterback room if the answer was already in there? If he knew Jalen Milrow or Ty Simpson was going to be a good enough option to start, would he go and bring in another quarterback? I don't think so. So the way that I look at this with Tyler Buckner coming to Tuscaloosa, I think he will be given every opportunity to start. Every opportunity, I think he will be given it to start. And he already knows the system. He already is familiar with Tommy Reese. He's going to have to earn it. But I think he's going to have every chance to knock this thing out of the park and to win the starting job at Bama. I wholeheartedly believe that. If Saban has his way, this is probably the good news for Alabama fans. I don't think it's wildly important who your starting quarterback is, which sounds ridiculous having the most important position in football. Me say, I don't know if it matters that much who it is. I'm saying relative to these three, Ty Simpson, Jalen Moto, Tyler Buckner, I think you can win with all of them. Truly, I do. If they make the right decision, I think all of them have the arm talent and the athleticism to get Alabama to where they want to go. Because it's not going to be like last year's Bama. Last year's Bama was Bryce Young. You are the magic eraser to whatever we don't have offensively. Let's get after it. We're going to live and die with Bryce Young. That's not going to be how this offense works under Tommy Reese. Not to say the quarterback won't still have a lot on his plate. He will, but it's going to be we're led by the offensive line. We're led by our running game. We're led by our backfield picking up third and short. Staying ahead of the sticks. That's how Bama's going to live. Remember old Bama? Bama that would just make you say uncle. That would just go on long drives down the field and your defense just looks like they have gone through the ringer. That's what Alabama's going to be. That's what they want to be. And so I sell that to say your quarterback isn't going to have to drop back there, go four verts, dance around in the pocket, and your offense goes through your quarterback. Got to make your layups. Got to be consistent. But from a talent perspective, it's not going to be a quarterback go win us the game, at least to start the game. There might be some plays now where you got to go win the game, but you hear what I'm saying. The X factor in all this, and it's obvious, it's Jalen Milrow's legs. How much emphasis is put on his ability to do the quarterback run game in the read option or the quarterback power? Because if you're telling me you want to be a physical football team, and I got a physical specimen in Jalen Milrow who can also sling the rock, it's tempting. Have to imagine that's a little bit tempting for the powers that be at Alabama. So we'll keep an eye on this. But again, Tyler Buckner, if it wasn't him, sounds like they were in the market. He's going to get every chance to start. But it's absolutely going to be a competition. He is not penciled in as your day one starter. So for Alabama, the quarterback race will wear into the summer, wear into the fall. And I'd be surprised if we got an answer anytime soon on this one as far as, you know, weeks out into the first game. So keep an eye on this one. 
but going to be a lot of fun to watch how that one unfolds. That's why college football is the greatest Netflix show that has never been on Netflix. Beautiful thing it is. Now, hope you all been getting active in the chat. We're about to bring on the heavy lifter extraordinaire, pride of Owensboro, Kentucky, Nick Brake. Nick, JD. How we doing, man? What's up, man? Always fun when Josh is here. Yeah, isn't it? Gosh, he's yeah. a man. It's always a good time. Always um, a good some time. Good questions. Uh, first question coming from, well, now I got to find it. This has been an argument, by the way, for the last 20 minutes. Um, mm. JD is from I. Miller. What running back room would you rather have, Michigan or Florida State? Just warning, there are a lot of Michigan and a lot of Florida State fans in the chat, so Golly, you really can't it. say the right thing here. I love it. Yeah, well, that's good to know that we're set up for failure here. Love that. Uh, make sure you like the video as we keep on rolling here. So here's what I would say. We have a very proven commodity in this Michigan running back room. I think Trey Benson is a stud. Trey Benson had six yards of carry last year. Trey Benson also didn't have over 1,000 yards last year. So Donovan Edwards, Blake Corum, listen, I, just, I know what I'm getting from them. If I'm projecting, I like a lot of what Florida State has. But, Nick, I have to answer Michigan here. Have to go with Michigan. Saw Donovan Edwards up close. Saw Blake Corman warm up when we, when we saw him at Ohio State. And uh, absolute one-two combo that's one of the best in the country. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going Michigan here. Not to upset our good people from Tallahassee, I but we're going Michigan there. I, I, yeah, I think so, too. You know? Um, K is back. Um, says, J.D., uh, I need to know your thoughts. Rutgers over under is four and a half. Do the Scarlet Knights hit five wins this year or a bowl game? Hey, first and foremost, their starting quarterback, Gavin Wimsett, came through the same uh, high school football program I did. So okay. In Owensboro, Kentucky. So can't lose there, right, J.D.? Can't lose there. That's Hey, good for him. So he's been developed properly is what I'm hearing. Yeah. Hey. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You love to hear that. Big time. Man. <laughs> so this is, this, is a, this is a tough one. This is a tough one. It's a tough one. Do They'll they cover a, every game this year. They're yeah, cover man. masters. I mean, do they make a bowl game? I'm going to have to say no. I have to say no. I love Greg Schiano. I love Rutgers. Birthplace of college football. I don't think they make a bowl game just yet this year. But that's the beautiful part about it. We're going to let this whole thing play out, and we'll watch the games, and it'll be a blast. But as of today, what is it, May 18th? Yeah. Have a hard time rolling with Rutgers uh, making a bowl game or, or getting over that four-and-a-half win mark. Okay. That's kind of grim, huh? It's kind of a downer. It is. Well, uh, you did get a, uh, a criticism from GH22, another uh, frequent viewer, saying that you always say the over. So, yeah, know. not today. Not, Sorry. not there. Not there. Sorry. Um, JD, why don't you plug in the, uh, the likes? Because I'm looking for another. Yeah, another go for question. it, man. Yeah, make sure you like the video. We got a lot of y'all tuned in live right now. We appreciate you for that. Mm -hmm. Make sure you like the video. Let's get to 100 before the show ends, huh? How, that, that, would that. Just, that would be a, a nice way for us to coast into Friday. Not coasting, sprint into Friday and sprint into the weekend. How about that? Let's go ahead and like this video. Appreciate y'all locking in with us. And make sure you get your, your takes, I guess. Get your, yeah. your shots you're calling into the chat as well. I want to hear from y'all. Well, that's perfect because it gave me enough time. Uh, Kyle Finley. Uh, JD, we've talked about this one. We, you talked through most of the winter about Ryan Day. Uh, Kyle asks, will they be fired if he doesn't beat Michigan this year? I don't think so. This is brutal. This is brutal that we have to answer this now based on what's gone on the last couple of years. Ryan Day is 0 for 2 his last two tries against Michigan, for those of you that have been living under a rock. Now I'm speaking softly because I'm trying to be as direct as possible. Ryan Day is one of the best college football coaches in America. There's no stuttering in that. There's no second guessing in that. That is factual. Look at his win percentage. Look at how he's recruited. Look at how they've developed. Ryan Day is one of the best coaches in America. Now, I will say there's two things that go into this. One, first time being a head coach. I've made this analogy a couple of times. It's like playing dive bars. Ryan Day was an was a offensive coordinator, I believe, at Ohio State previously. And now he's got his first head coaching gig. So you go from playing dive bars to then getting your first real gig, your real shot at success, your real shot in the spotlight, but it's on the Grand Ole Opry. It's not like, a, okay, well, then you go and play somewhere a little bit smaller. No, it's like, hey, you go from small time, and small time is probably the wrong word to use. You go from being a coordinator 
and you go to being a head coach at Ohio State. There was no group of five ramp up. Let me figure out my process, who I am as a head coach. It was coordinator, head coach, one of the biggest brands, most visible brands in all of college football. And oh, by the way, your entire career, your entire success as a coach comes down to like one game at the end of the year. And then what you do after that in the bowl season, like that's really important to us. So tough deal, man. Tough deal if you're Ryan Day, but the pressure is the privilege, as we like to say on here. So Mm -hmm. should Ryan Day be fired? Uh, Absolutely not. That's the first part of it. The other part of it is who are you going to go get? Who are you going to go get that's going to be better than Ryan Day, short of Urban Meyer walking back through those doors? (laughs) I don't know who you're going to go get. So I think Ryan Day, you give him time. And on top of that, the third piece of this, Nick, uh, Kirby Smart. Everyone was saying the same thing about him, not because of who he wasn't beating when it came to you know the rival. I'm saying for Kirby Smart, there was the conversation around, oh, he can't win the big one. He can't get over the hump. He can't win the big game. And now two national titles later, mm-hmm. people are, are changing their tune. And it's about the same number of years that that went on for Ryan Day and for Kirby Smart. So that's where we've, I got to get off the soapbox there, Nick. But that's how I feel about that situation. Do not believe that Ryan Day should be fired by any stretch of the imagination. Nor should you. Absolutely. Hey, shout out to Sheldon Hickman. Like it up, boys, in all caps. Uh, gotten us six more likes. We're at 83. Hey, Sheldon. We've got some time to get to 100, though. So keep Pushing the it. needle. Yeah, follow Sheldon's lead. Um, this is a good one. Hector says, JD, what's your go-to game day food? So I'm going to assume this means what now post playing career, what do you eat when you <laughs> are watching football? Not whenever you were playing ball, uh, what you would eat then. Yeah, but you can take it how you want. Dude, here's the, like college game day is a part of my college football Saturday routine. Even when I lived on the West Coast, it was like college game day is on at 6 a.m. Well, I guess we're up at 6 a.m. We're watching college game day. I got to have Lee Corso and Kirk Herbstreit to get my day started. That's how I know college football is back. Um, but the, the thing that I would say is like the non-negotiable when it comes to college football Saturdays, dude, Chick-fil-A, either spicy chicken biscuit, spicy chicken breakfast burrito. I need one of those. I need a little vanilla iced coffee. If you think that's soft, that's fine. Don't judge me. It starts my Saturday. Those are the two things that we need to have in place to then just launch the rest of the Saturday. Those, those are the two things, Nick. So Chick-fil-A, spicy chicken, breakfast, whether it's burrito or biscuit, you got to have it. Got to have it. Do you have, do you have anything, Nick, that you go to? Is there like a, a, a play for you there? I want to watch that college back on football? Yeah, or just to get your Saturday started. Well, really... To get my Saturday, well, first and foremost, you guys, I watch English Premier League soccer on Saturday Don't mornings. say that. Don't say that. <laughs> That's what I Don't watch. Don't say that on here, Nick. Um, Don't say that. But I uh, know, JD, you know, if I'm watching a big game, boneless buffalo wings to watch football, I, I like bone-in wings, but boneless wings for sure. Okay. With a lot of sauce. You know, you don't have to get too busy. You're focusing on the wing if you got bone-in wings. But yeah. All if, business. To watch a game, boneless wings. Um, maybe some buffalo chicken dip. Just anything mm. that's going to give you really bad heartburn. Um, but that's a great answer. Yeah, that's a really good answer. You didn't like the start of the answer, the Premier League aspect, but yeah, we, I'm, I, I could see our viewership just people just <laughs> logging off plumbing. saying, "Oh, yeah. okay." Like what soccer? Forget about this. Yeah, <laughs> no, I understand. Uh, Craig Fox, JD, what's I Nebraska's identity got to be going into 2023? So we had Matt Rule on the show, and we asked him a very similar question. We said, "You know, what is a Matt Rule coach Nebraska team going to look like?" He shot us straight, and there was, like I just said, there was no shake in his voice. There was no stutter. He's like, "I want to block." I want to tackle. I want to be a tough football team. Now, I think people hear that and they're saying, okay, well, will they not still be able to push the ball downfield? Like, if you watch that spring game, you saw Jeff Sims. He's going to be the starting quarterback for a reason. He's got a cannon of an arm. I think they will still do their best to, to have some vertical presence. But as an identity, if I had to put it into one word for Nebraska, I would say tough. Be a tough football team. And Nebraska fans, that's what you've known your team to be when they've been successful in the past blue collar, play in the trenches, be detail-oriented, all those things that bake into the definition that I think Nebraska will be, and that's tough. So a great question there by our guy Craig, and uh, you love to see it. You J.D., see I it. Yeah. am getting blown away uh, by all of these comments. Uh, For the boneless wings? Boneless? 
Yikes on the boneless wings. Dang, man. Boneless pizza. Mix it in with Kraft mac and cheese. Boneless are not wings. I agree, Briley. They're really not They're not wings. Dang, man. I'm, I'm Nick surprised. getting distracted from, from the game by the bones. The <laughs> I'm surprised that's what that's what they got you for, man. I thought Bone maybe the, the EPL comment would, would bring them after you. But no, it, it was they're the respecting my decision to watch soccer, but the boneless wings is where... Um, Look, Man. I like bone-in wings. I had them last night, by the way. I was at a uh, Korean restaurant, and I had bone-in wings. You know, wings do not take a break for me, but yeah. when I'm watching no the game— No off-season for you when it comes no to off wings. Season. No off-season. Uh, Shane says, for his game day, give me a smoked brisket, mashed sweet potatoes, a sweet tea, 10 hot wings, a few sausage slices, and a chorus to make, it, to make, to make me relax into the couch. Wow, they're going to have to pick you up by crane after the game, Shane. Dude, Shane, we got to hang out with Shane on a game day one of these days, dude. Yeah. If Shane's cooking, we're there. That also, is a, yeah. Also, we're about uh, 10 likes away from 100. So if we want to go yeah. ahead and get that done, that would be phenomenal. Man, Shane is a guy's guy. That, that, guy's that's guy, a, program guy, big yeah, Shane. A program guy, You got anything sure. else on here, Nick? Um, we do. By the way, JH22 said Korean wings are the best, no lie. So at least I won JH22 back. There we go. Um, yeah, we got a couple more questions. Um, I'll ask, would you get two more? Let's do it, man. Let's get two more. Let's, let's get 10 more likes on these two more. That would be okay. phenomenal. Sounds good. Well, Jimmy Satterfield um, says, how many games will Oklahoma win this year, J.D.? I know you're a Gabriel fan, so. Dude, okay, so, Nick, you'll appreciate this. Uh, drove to Atlanta for Mother's Day. Surprised my mom. Mom, if you're listening, love you. That was so fun. Uh, drove back, and we're killing time in the car. It's about a three-and-a-half-hour drive back. And so we listened to... The podcast on Tuesday. My wife was very kind, said, let's turn that on. I want to hear your show. I said, that's very kind of you. I'd love to self-scout. That'd be awesome. So we're listening to it on the way back, and we're actually listening to this very part of the show, Nick, the question and answer, well, some, where somebody asked us, hey, J.D., over under nine and a half wins for Oklahoma. I said, you know what? It's May. I like Brent Venables. They lost a lot of close games last year. I like Dylan Gabriel. Like, I'm going to go ahead and lean over right now. And my wife, up to this point in the car, had been saying she had agreed with what I was saying. And I was like, great. I'm, I'm glad that we're on the same page here. That's awesome. Then she goes, what? You're taking Oklahoma to, to win 10 games? I was like, babe, it was, I, I don't, it, was a, it was a question in the chat. Like, we didn't really have a full breakdown on it. But, like, Nick, you would have thought that I had just told her, like, hey, sorry, we're out of, we're, we're out of money. Hey, we can't pay rent this week or something like that. Like, it, it was a real deal thing when I said over nine and a half games for Oklahoma. So... We're going to double down on that on this on the show right now. We're going to go ahead and say we're going to lean over right now. It would be just like college football for a six and seven team to push the needle back and be right around 10 wins. So we'll break it down when it gets here. I promise you we'll have a full in-depth prediction on Oklahoma. It'll be a whole lot of fun. So subscribe to the channel for that. But we uh, we're going to lean in May reserving the right to change. We're going to lean in May towards over 10 games. Yeah. 10 wins rather for Oklahoma. Just a lean, not a pick, but a lean. How about that, Nick? Sounds good. Okay, last question. And if I did ask tonight, um, especially DJ Ferg, uh, you like Joker's rebounds tonight? Always. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there are a lot of great questions. Um, so keep asking. Uh, follow JD on Twitter at JDBKL. Ask him there. We'll get him on the show. Uh, but since Flipping Bro asked this twice, uh, who, by the way, likes bones in their wings, okay. uh, what could be a surprise team this year? could be a surprise team this year great question appreciate that nick you holding it down in the queue we'll do this again on tuesday what do you say yeah we'll do it sounds great <laughs> 10 a.m central 11 a.m eastern go ahead and lock in and hit the bell on the channel to make sure you don't miss when we go live the question that was posed what is going to be a surprise team for 2023 there's a lot of directions we could go with this my mind goes back to that Dark Horse segment that we talked through. And I think the most surprising team probably on that list, I mean, I think Texas Tech, man, they bring back a fair amount. Tyler Shuck, if he's healthy, can spin the rock. Like I think Texas Tech, in that conference, there are so many unknowns. What's Texas going to be? What's Oklahoma going to be? I just told you I lean Oklahoma 10 wins, but they just had six wins a year ago. Like there, there's absolutely very few absolutes. <laughs> Absolutely very few absolutes. How's that for a sentence? There's not a lot that's certain right now within the Big 12. And with Joey McGuire and the way they've recruited right now and the direction they have based on last year and the steam they're gaining, like I really think Texas Tech could be, uh, could be a team to watch and could be the team that surprises a lot of folks out of the Big 12. I've said this before, but if you disagree with that, you think the Big 12 is a little more solid than I do, look at TCU last year. 
missed a bowl game in 21, then made the national title in 22. So that's all I have to say about that. But y'all, we appreciate y'all rocking with us. We appreciate y'all tuning in. Make sure you like the video here on your way out. Make sure you're subscribed. This is a college football community, and we're very happy to have you a part of it. It's May. We're talking ball, and you're listening to ball. We're glad to have you here. Still feel enormously grateful to be able to have this interaction with y'all and call it a job. So we love y'all. We appreciate y'all. We're going to keep this party rolling, and we will see y'all next time. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.